podcast is brought to you by Mobile Arts Programming. All right, I'm Wes. And I'm John. And welcome back to another episode of Bittersweet Stories. This is the podcast where we jump into the lives of frontline workers in various social service jobs. That's right. We get to hear the ups and downs, the highs and lows, all those lovely things that go into doing this kind of work. And today we are joined with... Uh, Michael O'Connell. I work at Sketch Working Arts in Toronto. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Michael is totally awesome. Uh, we're so grateful to have him on the show today. Um, so maybe just kind of start with a bit about your background, how you got into, you know, I know you've done all kinds of different jobs over the years, but uh, how you got into kind of this line of work. Like before I was totally awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pre-awesome. <laughs> the pre-awesome days. Yeah. Let's start with that. <clears throat> it was a... Uh, it was an honest start. I was looking for a part-time job, so I took a job as a camp counselor, um, which, I don't know, it just sort of gave me my early indications of just actually how to count people mm-hmm. who I'm responsible for. So I was literally doing head counts yeah. all the time and right. learning how to keep those people engaged. And they were just like really young, you know, yeah. seven and eight-year-olds, and it was fun uh, and messy. And uh, and then in that, they I started to work with, um, the, I, I think at the time, the, the term was always special needs Mm-hmm. Uh, folks and and that they were just putting kids who had visual impairments with folks who had like down syndrome and they were just just like you're gonna work with the special needs kids mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay but you know I'm happy to it'd be great to get, find ways for them to be uh, excited and engaged and have mm-hmm. an awesome day camp experience and um, that moved into doing sort of working like being really excited about working with people who were experiencing barriers as not necessarily the language I used at the time right um, but uh, and then so I moved into working doing sort of more community involvement literally running a community involvement program through like the St. Catharines YWCA uh, to find ways for those folks to uh, once especially they were beyond I'm going to just say cute, <laughs> where, where they hit uh, puberty and suddenly like they're having a much different relationship with the world around them right. and they're struggling and right. uh, they're just finding less and less places are welcome to them. So I would take them to the library, show them how to use the bus, show them how to mm-hmm. like and, and just explore those things. They were teaching me right. as much. So. And this was a similar population. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. totally. Um, like folks with autism and just mm-hmm. or, or along that spectrum, and uh, with with sort of like um, I guess physical challenges, but also developmental challenges and mm-hmm. intellectual challenges. And um, it was it was awesome work. It was like it really it really gave me like a glimpse into oh yeah, like accessibility mm-hmm. right. it means many things, and and that that whole idea of accessibility is still something I'm learning about and yeah. learning how to like. Um, uh, uh, blow up the definition of it's it's like it's accessibility is is uh is overcoming barriers that are invisible right right typically to me of course a white yeah. you know cisgendered male yeah. who just like has a lot of safety and easy easiness when i go into situations so right. um so a lot of that came from there and then from there can i keep going yeah of course please. yeah um from there uh i went to university and just studied like history and international development and I was like what can I do to kind of mm-hmm. like keep my keep my partying going yeah well <laughs> um but also where like where are my skills best suited like I'm not I've never worked in the service industry like the you know the restaurant like the hospitality yeah. like I just that's just never been my vibe and um so I started working with as a respite worker actually for hmm. families who were who had um 
kids who just that that just took a lot of their time and and right. and uh, and energy. And I would just be like, I'll just spend a couple of couple hours a night with with your son, and we'll just go and do fun shit. We'll just go make birdhouses, or we'll just go yeah. hike by the river. And um, and then I started from there working in uh, closed custody, sorry, open custody um, group homes, which then really started to open up my eyes to. Mm-hmm. To some shit, like to, yeah. just to just to systems that I felt were, um, like where I where I, I think I started to develop empathy over sympathy maybe, mm-hmm. and started to see um, how systems, especially privatized systems, were not really interested in, like not really interested in the the health and welfare and wellness of young the young people that they were. Yeah. Um, supposedly serving. allegedly helping yeah allegedly right. helping and yeah. unfortunately like a lot of those systems and a lot of those places are, are businesses right? yeah mm-hmm. and so they have bottom lines that they're just trying to to do that thing and, yeah. and and you're right they often miss the whole point of why they're there yeah, yeah. i would literally see um young people's uh like exit from a place delayed because they didn't have someone else to come in and take the bed and they therefore wouldn't get the per diem right it was gross yeah, yeah. and or and or the 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 first visit of any young person like 12 11 10 years old coming from a lot of trauma the first visit they would always have was was not to a therapist or a nutritionist or a counselor it was to a psychiatrist right so how do we quick how do we immediately get them on some kind of med right. regimen and and that became mm-hmm. yeah that became something that that was very difficult to for me to navigate yeah that's like i would say that that's a reoccurring theme from any of the folks that we've talked about talked with rather so far is just inevitably the fact that you will encounter this sort of big business side of things mm-hmm. you know what i mean and, and it's like just it's as so allude- disheartening yeah and just as you alluded to you're like oh right this is sort of the facade of care when in actuality it's like the best interests of this population really are pretty low down on the priority list mm-hmm. And, it, and it's interesting for yourself being that uh, frontline worker, you are quite literally in between those two extremes in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's interesting as well, the reoccurring theme, it sounds like from all of the work that you did up to that point is, again, um, work that increased and facilitated your understanding of those accessibility issues that any of these people would have experienced. And mm-hmm. so even again, in this sort of context, it's like open custody sort of residential setting. They're there for maybe different reasons, but yet again, you're witnessing these sort of, this lack of accessibility to proper care, you know, to, to being treated properly, you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it was an eye opener. It was also a point of like, it was the, when I left, I, like I wasn't worried about a letter of reference from that company. Right. I actually really respected a lot of the people I worked with because I feel like they saw the same things. But sometimes when you're career driven, when you're just like when you're just like it's just a it's a hierarchy like anything else, and people are like, well, I kind of wouldn't mind being a house manager. Yeah, yeah. Better keep my mouth shut on this one. And it's just like, and I, you know, I don't respect that, but I also uh, there's also the burn. I see where yeah. that is. You I can see understand where that it. Is. Yeah. Totally. And then there's the burnout of it too, right? Like at a certain point after you see something time and time again, like it's hard to stay engaged and it's hard to, to still really care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, on a day to day basis. Yeah. Um, so you you left there and then kind of what happened next for you? Um, I moved to Toronto and just started 
doing carpentry work yeah another first uh and but i was just like i need i i now at this point now i recognize that this was what this is what um this is who i am Mm -hmm. now meanwhile in all of this i'm also playing in an eight-piece band and we're traveling all over the country and i'm really developing my arts practice as a musician for sure and as a career musician in many ways and i think i was i was just dabbling with all these identities at that point or all these like interests and and how much time i want to invest in each of them and so I came up with this, I feel like, Wes, you and I have mm-hmm. talked in the past, and I feel like I came up with this sort of idea um, that was based on my experiences with people in the residential system, um, the residential housing system, uh, and group homes. And um, I, I was like, you know, what's really missing there is the arts. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right. mm-hmm. that's what's critically missing in, in those spaces, and is just like, opportunities for for those young people just to have holy shit like an actual like like a youth mm-hmm. uh, experience like that's mm-hmm, positive right. and mm-hmm. like meets them where they're at meets them where they're hormonally at meets them where they're like developmentally at mm-hmm. and arts are just such an amazing way to find voice and i mean i think and communicate right yeah, like, yeah. We, we talk about that so much uh, with what john and i do too is like it's just another form of communication mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. like sitting there and, and literally trying to verbalize what you're what you want to communicate is is almost impossible, yeah. right? But through music and through art and through you know all these kind of interesting, fun ways, it's it's it's, it's easy. Like, it's the catalyst in a way, mm-hmm. right? It's like that's like to your point. It's like without something like that, you know, there isn't that opportunity for that very needed expression yeah. and like fundamental as far as like emotional and mental well being, but also just in relation to their development. Yeah. You know, like I can't think of where I'd be. Um, when I think back to like my adolescent years without music, without playing the guitar, mm-hmm. without delving into like a variety of different pieces of music that just kind of push you and make you go, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's like, especially if that's um, by contrast to pretty dire circumstances, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's like, you need that stuff to sort of as a counterweight, as a counterbalance. And without that, like, so it's amazing that you would have sort of seen that you would have seen that void and recognized how valuable it is, like that it needs to be there you know yeah and it, it, like it would always put me back i would always go back to, to 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 my grade nine experience when someone's like hey you play the bass and i'm like yeah and they're like well what are you doing friday and i'm like uh i don't know and they're like do you want to jam and i'm like yeah Absolutely. i'll jam yeah i'm like they're like hey be at my house at seven and these are all grade 13 guys and i'm yeah. like this is awesome i'm like what songs am i gonna learn and they go dude we're jamming right yeah. and i just showed up and it and and i think when i looked back and reflected on that because it was like a hugely uh um pivotal point in my development as an artist that i i, I was like oh yeah that's fucking privilege mm-hmm. actually right <laughs> that is a privilege to be to be set up in such a way that i can say yes to a friday night i can bring a, a bass that my mother bought me yeah um and and I can, and I can, uh, and then I have the skills and the support to to build those relationships going forward. And yeah. I was like, so how can I, how can I, how can I create a similar opportunity for someone who doesn't have that support, as we've named, is living within like kind of an industrial complex of mm-hmm. uh, um, like a for-profit model of housing and living every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. How can I bring that same sort of experience to other folks? So I was like, ah, I'm going to try to like, with all these musicians and artists that I've gotten to know. I'd like to be like a hub, a consultant, not necessarily, but more of like just like a hub to, to bring the network of young people who need mm-hmm. uh, and are hungry for that kind of 
uh, developmental opportunity, um, whether they know it or not yet, right. and all these artists that I know. So I was like, I'm going to do this. And I was looking up places and um, how I could make this happen. And they were like, well, you, we don't really give money to individuals. Like, no one really gives money to individuals to do that work. They're right. like, you got to be with an organization. And then I found Sketch. Yeah. And then I just I came in. I thought, well, I'll just see if Sketch wants to partner with me on that. And then I just got hired by Sketch. Yeah. And that was great. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and maybe for those listening that that aren't familiar with what Sketch is, um, it's a unbelievably phenomenal organization. And maybe do you want to just kind of address like what it is and kind of what its purpose is? Yeah, um, like Sketch uh, started in in the hopes of of offering like community arts opportunities and arts uh, skills to young people living homeless uh, or. And I, I would say that strictly in the beginning, it was like we just really want to work with folks who are like living in the shelter system, living under the Bathurst Street Bridge. Um, I think that the, I think it wasn't this idea of like everyone across the GTA who's experiencing you know uh, barriers in their lives, like systemically um, in their neighborhoods. It wasn't quite that. I think there was like a there was a, a more stated demographic, and so uh, but slowly that grew into well, where are all the young women? Who are, who, you know, who are also facing a lot of barriers. In fact, face more violence. And actually, where are all the trans women that mm-hmm. should be in this space? Where are all the queer people that should be in mm-hmm. this space? So slowly, we grew in this way of um, making our space uh, more safe, not safe. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I think that's a ridiculous term in so many ways. I just think, uh, especially when you have. Um, uh, a management team or a, a delivery team that is um, primarily uh, cis, white, mm-hmm. hetero. Like mm-hmm. you're just you just by virtue of the fact that you live that life and that's your identity. You, there's just a series of things that you will not take into account when you mm-hmm. open up a space and offer it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and those and those things that you overlook are the very things that are going to prevent people from coming, um, or they will experience violence when they come into your space. So that's been a huge learning curve for Sketch, which is, sorry, I, I forgot to mention, a community arts yeah. uh, organization that, so we offer like photography. I run the music program with a whole team of really awesome people. Um, we have culinary arts, uh, theater and and um, and movement, not so much theater these days, but we want more visual arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as possible, we're trying to bring people in to learn those skills um, on their terms and very much in it, by developing projects that they see are important for them, that they conceive of, and that we just find space and tools and whatever skills they need, we find a way to um, provide mentorship for them, either in-house or we, we look outside. Um, and it feels like we're just an ever-evolving organism. Right. Yeah, and in, in, in doing that work and, in, and building this kind of That's awesome. community. Yeah. But also it sounds like it would be ever evolving because you're continuously learning and then therefore like reacting to that new information that you learn. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so far in this space, we've never actually fully considered um, this aspect of, of, you know, the lived experience of this population. So as a result of learning that now we can kind of curtail mm-hmm. what we offer here. Right. So I would imagine it's just this fluid ongoing kind of and seemingly pretty organic process as well. Yeah, it's organic and intentional and clumsy. And, uh, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, That's a great and, way to put and it. I, I think that Sketch, like a lot of organizations who are trying hard, are also you know making mistakes and and mm-hmm, right. and just trying to uh, engage as many people as possible uh, to help hold us accountable. You know, and, and that's a huge thing, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, it's 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 not easy. And I think that you put anybody from sketch into this chair and talk to them, and you'll get you might get a, a different response. Mm -hmm. I, like I hope I'm not sort mm -hmm. of, uh, for lack of a better term, whitewashing any of this. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's 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 a process. Yeah, yeah like sure. art. Yeah. yeah, especially when you're like, if you're kind of, in a way, sort of building something from nothing. Inevitably, the most uh, the greatest informant for what you do will be that trial and error process, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, unfortunately we made a mistake here, but now we know we'll never do that again, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that's just part of the process. And yeah. again, it's not like you have this pre-existing model that you're like, oh, this template works perfectly. We'll just follow that. And then in six months, we'll be off the yeah. ground and running. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like that at all. It's exactly the opposite. So it, it, it makes sucks. sense that that's what you encounter, right? Totally. And, and and then there's those days where you're like, oh, shit, three years ago, we said we'd never do this again. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Remember mm -hmm. we said that? And now we're doing it again. We forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, earlier, you, you mentioned uh, the, the importance of kind of using your own passions and your own skill sets in your work. Um, so, you know, sketch aside, like, what do you think the importance of that is for, for frontline workers in general to kind of utilize your own skills and your own passions in the work that you do on the front lines? I, th I think, I think there's a lot of reasons to bring yourself to work. Hmm. And I think that, I think that, um, in a lot of situations we are, we're obsessed with boundaries, even though we have really shit, you know, I, I see a mm -hmm. lot of shitty boundary holding all, all around me. Right. Um, uh, or people are very selective about how they have boundaries. And I, I use the term boundaries because because to bring yourself to work and your passions and your what's interesting to you. And maybe even like, and I think that what you're passionate about, you know, there has to be a level of vulnerability mm -hmm. that if it's truly passionate, that you have to have some vulnerability in, in that moment um, or in that part of yourself. And so it's hard to bring your vulnerable self to work. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, how do I, how do I, I mean, I, I've, yeah, I feel strongly like that's what's going to make this like the currency of any organization. And when you're serving people or when you're trying to engage people is, is just relationship and trust. Mm -hmm, right. And if those aren't capital T's, if that's not a capital T trust, then, mm -hmm. then you're not really working on it. And right. it's like, um, and you can't really develop trust if, if it's strictly professional, mm -hmm. well, I mean, it's it's strictly professional. But if it's never personal, if it's never mm -hmm. an exchange of life experience, if it's never, uh, it has to be two way. And in order for it to be two way, I, yeah, I think you got to bring yourself and your skills and right. your. You're right, because you you know you're bringing yourself there, and and I like that idea of vulnerability, and and because you need to be, you know, genuine with people. Because mm -hmm. yeah. you're right, it's all relationship building. It's all relational work when you're on the front lines working with, you know, whatever population you're you're kind of involved with. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think like, you know, if you're being disingenuous or, you know, if your shit stinks, then somebody's going to notice and they're yeah. just going to, right. Yeah. They're not going to be like, they're like, yeah. oh, this guy, Michael, yeah, he's all right. But you know, he's always kind of fake with us. So whatever, like, yeah. it's better to just show that vulnerable side and be like, yes, I'm a human being. I also experience these things in my own context. Like, you know, here we all are like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say like, it's, it's also, it's also impossible to, to be, you know, um, I guess respected by everybody. Like mm -hmm. I made, I totally have made my mistakes, and mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes that's the, that's really hard to swallow. It's really hard to go. Like it's, I think the thing I love about sketch. I'm actually even looking on the wall because we just put up signs, and and one of the ones I really wanted to add was this place is cool with mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> especially it's really important in a music studio for yeah. people to have that, especially yeah. if they've never really had that experience in studios. Um, but. Uh, 
it can be really hard to sort of bounce back from making a big mistake. Like the kind mm-hmm. of mistake where someone says like, I'm not coming back for a while. Like I can't, I'm not mm-hmm. going to, I'm not going to engage here with, you know, we don't do casework with necessarily yeah. like sort of capital C casework with people. Um, uh, so people can come and go as they want. They can give whatever name that they mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's really hard when you don't see someone for a long time and you kind of know that there was an awkward conversation that you had, or you maybe I may have said something that sounded judgmental mm-hmm. um, and didn't mean it that way at all. But and then suddenly I don't see them for a while and it's mm-hmm. like, hmm, shit. Yeah. And it's also a boundary there is like, do I reach out to them and say, hey, I miss you? Like, maybe they're just taking space and time. And I, right. it's not up to mm-hmm. me to, to say you should come back because th- they don't need that pressure in their lives. Right. But do they need that encouragement? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a tricky thing because in either way, you kind of have to sort of, I don't know if ego is the right word, but like in a way you have to put aside that ego because mm-hmm. in one way you're like, I want to reach out to them. But that sort of serves maybe your own purpose. And then in the other way, you're like, yeah, I want to make this space 100% amazing for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the goal. That's like really the, the passion that you have would be to sort of strive and create these opportunities for these people. But inevitably, you won't do that. And again, you kind of have to put that ego aside and be like, Ugh. you know, you can't win. You can't win them all the time. And it, it's unfortunate. It's shitty. But sometimes you got to be like, I think we lost that one, you know, like in terms of like the victory or, or a loss, you know. But it's like, again, it's just like all part of the work, right? And yeah. that trial and error as well. Just like learning the sort of do's and don'ts and yeah, mm-hmm. you recover from it and keep moving on, right? Yep. I'm trying to make sure that, that my learning has uh, the least impact on the people I'm working with. <laughs> like right. if I can learn without impacting them, if mm-hmm. I can learn not on the backs of their experiences um, and and yeah, I think I, I that, that for me is like the learning model I'm really, really like mm-hmm. going for. That's amazing. In my life, in my work. Yeah. Well, we're just running low on time, but maybe kind of on a final note, um, there's that kind of overarching question of like, why? Why do you, you know, we kind of know a bit about why you got into this line of work, but why do you stay in it and why do you kind of pursue it? And and what, what do you, you know, what are some of the things that you get out of it? Money. Yeah. (laughs) It's gotta be the money. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like, in fact, it has to be brought up because it's like, if, uh, if I was really, if I was really, you know, chasing the cheddar, I would not be doing social no. work. No. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, for me, I am still learning that, that I always, I always think this, I'm just like, mm-hmm. we were talking about bringing skills mm-hmm. and I was like, everybody who works here should have like an arts practice that they use and that informs how they're gonna engage community. Like that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, like me as an artist, it really informs how I do community arts work. But one thing I've realized in the last five years as I've been building more and more of my artistic practice is that the community part of doing, the community engaged part of doing art with people um, has been informing actually how I am on stage, how I am building right. an audience outside of here. So it's like, I get a lot out of being yeah. here. Um, I I think that this place is ex- extremely unique. I think if I had not have been working at Sketch, I don't know if I'd find my exactly. home in another service agency. I might still be doing carpentry for films. Mm-hmm. I might just be on the road playing music, and I'm just really grateful that that I'm here. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. I think that's something that we can relate to as well. Like absolutely being musicians and sort of having this like skill set. There's various applications, but it's kind of like in order to kind of like allow that to keep going and everything like that it's really like 
it feels very empowering to just sort of have these skills and share with people and like allow and like allow that growth to continue to happen right Mm -hmm. and then it's like that's kind of what helps you to just keep coming back every day and things like that yeah awesome well michael it's been such a great conversation and always good to see you man you too Wes. thanks jonathan thank you so much yeah Yeah, i appreciate it and thanks for listening uh stay tuned for another episode of bittersweet stories Mobile Arts Programming, or MAP for short, brings the recording experience to you. If your agency or organization is interested in exploring the positive outcomes of writing and recording music, please visit our website at mobilearsprogramming.com.